whoever is listening, welcome back. My name is Grayson Mann, and welcome to a Friday podcast edition. Today, I am joined by Larry Williams. He's a sports writer for Clemson Rivals, one of the top networks if you're looking for recruiting, college football news. Larry Williams is one of the pinnacles of the Clemson beat writer community, and he's got a lot of information. Broke the Garrett Riley story most recently. We'll get into that. Uh, so, Larry, welcome to the show. Thank you for doing this, man. Thanks. I appreciate the kind words. You're biased, though, because you, you, you work for the site. So um. Yeah, it's it's not often you get to interview your boss for a podcast, but we're gonna we're trying things out. Yeah, man. Glad to be here. Yeah. So as I do with all my interviews and just kind of with people who don't normally know who you are, we have an audience all across the country. We're just thankful so much each and every day for the support you continue to pour on the podcast, guys. But Larry, kind of just introduce the audience to what you what your role is through a Clemson beat writer with rivals, just what you do on a day to day basis. Well, um, I have been covering Clemson on a daily basis since 2004 when I uh, left the Augusta Chronicle newspaper and joined the Charleston Post and Courier, which wanted to establish a beat writer on site as opposed to uh, their previous method was one of their reporters or one or a couple of their reporters would uh, travel uh, to and from uh, from and to uh, Clemson. To and from Clemson, sorry, the words were a little jumbled, but uh, a couple, a few times a week, which was, you know, you, it's always better when you have somebody sort of boots on the ground, um, and they had somebody in Columbia covering the Gamecocks for a few years previous to that, so they wanted to sort of balance it out. Um, and then in 2008 is when I moved to TigerIllustrated.com, and of course, I've been there ever since. Um the day-to-day job, I was actually just trying to explain it to my daughter yesterday, uh, my 10th grader. She said, so what, you know, I told her I had just finished a, a, an article um, for Friday. Um, this, so the conversation was on, on Wednesday. And she said, well, how long does it take you to write an article? And I said, well, uh, 30 minutes. 30 or 45 minutes, not very long. And she said, is that all you have to do for that one day? <laughs> and so not really. I mean, there's so much that goes into it when, you know, when you have to write something every day. I mean, literally, I think I have to, there's something on our site every, for me every 365 days of a year. Um, and, and so that doesn't mean I'm working every day necessarily uh, because during the, sort of the downtimes, the summer, and sometimes in the spring, even kind of right now, um, when there's nothing really going on football-wise, I can plan ahead and, and, and get stuff done in advance. And so hopefully, ideally, maybe take a Friday off, followed by the weekend off. Um, but it's just, it's certainly not a nine-to-five. Um, you know, I could get, something could happen, you know, when I least expect it. And then that throws, turns everything upside down because you have to drop everything and um, drop everything and cover that story. Uh, the, the most recent example, of course, would be the the firing of Brandon Streeter and the hiring of Garrett Riley. Luckily, over the years, um, Clemson hasn't fired many coaches. <laughs> so there, <laughs> haven't been, there haven't been many coaching searches like, it's really extraordinary what um, as I'm as I'm thinking about it since I started covering Clemson in 2004 um, football has made 
one head coaching change, mm-hmm. that being Tommy Bowden out and Dabo Sweeney in in October of 2008, um, they've made one basketball coaching change since I've covered Clemson, and that that being when Oliver Purnell left for DePaul and Brad Brownell got hired, and then um, two baseball coaching yeah. changes. Um, fired Jack Leggett uh, six years ago, and then fired Monty Lee uh, last year and brought in um, Eric uh, Bakic and so, but then of course there with football, you know, anytime there's an assistant coaching search, I mean, that's uh, all hands on deck and everybody of course wants to know about that, but there haven't been many of those either. Yeah. Um, it's the continuity for uh, Clemson sports, at least since you've been covering and I've been just kind of paying attention to it. It's been phenomenal, but they've been able to kind of maintain a like consistency. There's like a brand for Clemson that I feel very they find the right guy and they stick with them and it's been yeah. pretty consistent throughout the years but you mentioned that the most recent situation with Garrett Riley and I think the most fascinating part of it especially with me being on the phone with you as I think the news if you can tell me if I'm wrong as the news breaks you go well I, I think I have to go or something and so I'm the kind of I'm in the like this in the in the dark spot and I get a bunch of texts that the, the news starts going and I start put two and two together so can you kind of walk the audience through that process of how the source came to you, the information and what that process really transforms into, especially when the coaching search, as you mentioned, was relatively quick and finding the guy that was going to replace Streeter, which with many are calling a home run hire. Well, so I, I guess I have to sort of paint the picture leading up to that. Mm-hmm. And, 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 you know, when you're trying to cover a team and trying to sort of present yourself as somebody who um, is, is somewhat of an authority on, on what is happening, you know, and, and when a season sort of turns kind of sour to an extent late, especially offensively uh, as it did um, or I, in, in some respects, defensively as well, you know, we, with first year coordinators, you know, you get drugged up and down the field against Notre Dame you uh, commit the unpardonable sin of, of losing at home to South Carolina. And then um, you score one touchdown uh, against Tennessee in the orange bowl. You know, your guard has to be up. And so part of that for me is this is, this is, you know, weeks before Dabo actually made the decision. It's basically talking to people who are, in position to know to get a feel for, hey, you know, do you think he's going to make changes to his staff? And the consistent word that I heard was was no. Um, you know, but it was sort of ominous that week because you started to hear some chatter. I think as we wrote, um, there was a meeting, a staff meeting the previous Saturday. I think all this happened on a Thursday. So there was a pre there was a staff meeting the previous Saturday that it just did not sound like it was very rosy um, from Dabo's uh, perspective, and so you know it was just kind of ominous. And then I had heard at that to that point, you know, that he had made a couple of support staff changes, but nothing that would really warrant the tone of of ominousness 
coming out like of that meeting. And so it's like, well, what, what else could there be? You know, I, I didn't think he was gonna, I thought he was going to stand pat uh, with, with Streeter and Goodwin. Well, as it turned out, um, it moved pretty quickly. Like you said, I think my understanding of it was that um, he figured out that he might actually have a chance at Garrett Riley, somebody who I probably wouldn't have thought that he would have had much of a chance at. And I, it, he probably didn't think he had much of a chance at, because I think the conventional wisdom was that Garrett was that the next coaching step for Riley was going to be a, to a head coach uh, position. And so I, I believe that the decision to make a change at coordinator was, was made because of the ability to land Riley. And so that process, of course, you know, two days before, three days before um, TCU had played in the national championship. And so um, obviously things started to move on that Tuesday, um, you know, so 48 hours, I guess, is, 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 is the sort of capsule of time in which it happened. Um, but as to how I was able to get the information, I tell people that, man, this, that there's no set way that you come across information. It, it happens in such different ways. Um, you know, I always, I kind of laugh every time something big happens and I'm really busy trying to figure out, you know, the next step or something or trying to nail down the story, but it's out there. I have texts from, 50 different people, friends <laughs> saying, Hey man, what's, what's the inside story? What's going on? And, and I'm like, man, I'm, I promise y'all, I'm not just sitting there like, you know, just waiting for stuff to waiting for people to tell me right. something like I'm actively on the phone and, and busy, like real as busy as I, I ever am during those times. And so, you know, it's hard for me to respond to, to people, to friends and such when, when, when something like that happens, but um, in this case, it was a, it wasn't, it wasn't like I got some, you know, uh, text from the football office saying, Hey, he just fired Brandon yeah. Streeter. It was more, I was, it was sort of a, I had heard that, um, that I had heard from somebody who wasn't even with inside the program that, that, that some information that gave me good reason to believe that, something had happened and so that's when i start calling people who are in position to know you know it's like hey you know i have this you know i'm 95 percent sure that this is the case i just i need some help here in confirming yeah. so the thing and, that really impressed me the most with the whole situation was just how quick everything came out and just the fact that riley on that monday on that same week just rolling from a national championship loss to Georgia that everyone was very familiar with. And then within, it seemed like a really quick timetable, like not even time to kind of process what he had just done. Dabo's on the phone. He's being uncharacteristically aggressive with what was going on. Is that something you classified as uncharacteristic of him? And the way you kind of worded it, would it have been Riley or bust? Or was there potentially another candidate? Like a lot of words like Jeff Scott was thrown around. Uh, from the time of the Carolina game, Notre Dame, that was a popular phrase. Garrett Riley never even kind of crossed into Clemson fans' minds until it was official, and people go, oh, yeah, that, make, that makes sense. So 
was that something that was thrown around with Jeff Scott's name when things are kind of developing or the season kind of progresses? Or is it, was it really just a, hey, we have an opportunity to get a guy that can really change the change how the offense has been run, change the success of this program? If it hadn't been Garrett, is it fair of me to say if it hadn't been Gary Riley, we'd be talking about a completely different conversation with Streeter in year two? I think so. Yeah. Um, and, you know, Jeff Scott, I, like, it would not surprise me at all if he's eventually back on the staff in some capacity. I don't even, I would doubt he'd be on the field. Um, but it was bizarre to me how, right when the Riley stuff is popping, that you have all this speculation out there and even some reports that, oh, Jeff Scott's back too. And well, what a masterful move by Dabo to not hire just Garrett Riley, but to bring in Jeff Scott to help fix the machine on offense. I just never heard that. And, and you know, late in the season after Jeff got fired at South Florida, did some checking around and, and the vibe that I got then was distinctly that Jeff was going to take some time off um, and be with his family move back to the Clemson area, back home, um, and to just uh, benefit from the luxury of, of the contract that he signed that put him in a really good financial situation to, for the first time in his life, just sit back, decompress, and, and, and put the full focus on his family. And that's, as I've sit here today, that's the understanding uh, that I have about his, his immediate future. And so I, I don't think Jeff was ever in the picture – in terms of uh, a possible uh, offensive coordinator. And in fact, man, that would be hard. You know, you talk about, that's one thing that I don't think people think enough about. Um, You know, Jeff, these coaches are like part of family for him. And so, you know, you you hear people say, you know, Dabo needs to fire Tyler Grisham and, or demote him and bring in Jeff to coach receivers again. Well, I mean, you put yourself in Jeff's shoes, like Tyler was under him, you know, like that's just mm-hmm. kind of it's awkward. It's probably not the word. I mean, awkward at the very least. And then the prospect of, Oh, firing Brandon Streeter and replacing him with Jeff Scott. Like, man, that's, that's tough too. So I'm not saying that none of that could have happened conceivably, but I just don't know that people put enough uh, thought into sort of the, 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 the relationships that are involved here with, 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 with uh, guys who were part of a really tight knit staff and, and remain really close w- with each other. But as far as the aggression goes, no, I don't, it, not really that out of the ordinary because I mean, out of the ordinary for sure, as far as Dabo's typical, you know, past decision-making, but, but you, you if, if you have identified a possibility I mean, yeah, you gotta you gotta go for it because time is of the essence. You know, Alabama reportedly um, might have had some interest in 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 Garrett Riley, and Bill O'Brien was still, um, you know, employed. Still was still the coordinator there. This was before, of course, the news that he's going back to the NFL. Um, Jimbo Fisher, I think, had made a run at Garrett as well, and. He's the hottest name out there, really. Yeah. So you have to be stealthy. You have to be quick. You know, I, I know that just historically, um, you know, Dabo back when he fired Billy Napier after the 2010 season, you know, he 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 did it. He actually made the 
move after the season ended, but he had been doing legwork on Chad Morris for a while, uh, for I think weeks. Um, and so, you know, I've, I, I saw, you know, some criticism out there from, I think, I don't know, first take or something. I don't watch it, but I just saw. Yeah. And, oh, they're saying this, um, that, oh, how, how could he, um, you know, how could he, some people maybe were incredulous that he could, you know, go after Riley before actually firing Streeter. That's unfair to Streeter. And I, that's just like, that's just kind of funny to me because I mean, that's just, that's just the nature of the beast, man. That's the, that's the business that they're in. And, and so, um, yeah, you've got to, before you make the call on your current OC, you've got to know who you can get. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And so, uh, that's what he did, uh, with, with Chad Morris. And, and really that's a similar, that, that's the comparison I think that is, is really, that's what I think back to, um, you know, there are so many differences between then and now, because I mean, heck, he was coming off a six and seven season. It was his second season, you know, they had won the Atlantic division his first year. And even that was considered an accomplishment. You know, there's still a lot of doubt out there that he could be a, an elite head coach. Whereas now, you know, he has two national championships in his pocket, you know, six straight playoff trips. And he's trying to get back to that. But it's, it is a similar feel from the perspective of, um, you know, got to find somebody from the outside to help fix the machine, you know. Um, and he goes, you know, Chad Mars from Texas, um, you know, with a uh, sort of a you know, cutting edge offense. Um, so that they sort of molded into the Clemson offense that, that, that Tony Elliott and Jeff Scott oversaw after Morris went to, to SMU. But, I, you know, I, I like the decision. I think that, uh, I mean, it's kind of unfair for Streeter because he had a one-year audition yeah, with kind of an emotional roller coaster at quarterback, and didn't have T. Higgins or Justin Ross or Mike Williams types at receiver. You know, but you know, it, I thought they needed a big refresh after the 2021 season. I think a lot of people thought that, and they did have some tweaks and such under Streeter. But as it turns out, a full refresh is probably probably needed for this offense to sort of rediscover some of its fizz so to speak yeah yeah and the way i look at the last two years at clemson and it, it being a part of the student body i think gave me a unique kind of because i was seeing it from both sides there was a you go to a press conference on monday you're on the couch with your roommates the, that same night and kind of talking about the same thing but from a different perspective and so it was really kind of neat to kind of play both sides and so i really want to ask you in these last couple years and you kind of eliminate the Trevor Lawrence stuff, you just you start with the Georgia game and you end with Tennessee with Cade Klubnick. And I just kind of put that in a bubble as kind of might not strange, not might not be the word to use, but more of the I guess given the success that they went on from with Deshaun Watson and you cap it off with the uh, Sugar Bowl appearance in the playoff and the COVID year, 2021 to 2023, ending in the Orange Bowl, kind of the strangest era in Clemson football. What has been your impression of these last two years and maybe if you exclude the Garrett Riley thing, did you like kind of the direction where things were headed? Did you see, uh, even if there wasn't this home run higher, yeah, there is a feasible spot back to the playoffs, especially given that there is exp expansion on the horizon. Well, 
I think the last two years um, has given everybody around Clemson, not just fans, but media folks, uh, even maybe some people inside the building, uh, a new appreciation uh, for the fact that, you know, just because the stars aligned in a spectacular and extraordinary way for you to get two generational quarterbacks within a span of a few years, like most schools don't get one of those quarterbacks in a century. Yeah. And Clemson got Deshaun Watson who came along in 14 and then Trevor Lawrence who came along four years later. And so just because DJ Uyunglele was in that category from a ranking, a recruiting rankings perspective. And just because Cade Klubnick is in that similar category, it doesn't mean, it doesn't mean that they're going to be Trevor Lawrence and, and Deshaun Watson. And it seems, it just seems absurd to even suggest that at, at this point, you know, after the mm -hmm. last two years. And so, you know, I think that not only has have the last two years given a, given everyone around here an appreciation for the quarterback position and to the meaning of truly elite quarterback play, it also, I think, has given an appreciation for everything that had to come together for them to have the run that they did. It wasn't just five-star quarterbacks – I'm sorry, generational five-star quarterbacks – but it also wasn't just generational five-star defensive tackles, Christian Wilkins, uh, Dexter Lawrence, generational five-star receiver, T. Higgins. Mm -hmm. um, it was also not as highly regarded guys elevating and developing into basically guys who would have been five-stars if you ranked them retroactively. You know, Mike Williams wasn't even close to a five-star when he signed he turned into an absolute monster of course hunter renfro i mean yeah i mean i remember uh it was the august of 15 so it would have been hunter renfro's redshirt freshman year he was redshirted in 14 and Dabo let us watch like a week's worth of preseason practice which was totally out of the ordinary um but i just remember watching these drills where Mackenzie Alexander is covering this, some guy in a number 13 Jersey, you know, some walk on. And I'm like, Holy crap. This kid is like taking Mackenzie Alexander to school play after play. And so my point is, you know, you, you have guys, I mean, that's just, that doesn't happen very often to, you know, for all of those things to come together you know, you also had, you know, Wayne Gallman wasn't yeah. a top-notch talent, but he was a tough-as-nails competitor who grew into a player who was a, a real asset, you know. And, I mean, I can go on down the line. And so I think, you know, after – I mean, I remember 2018 after, after – or 2019, after the uh, second national title, 44-16 – you know, seriously having the conversations, man, could they go 45 and O with Trevor at quarterback? Yeah. Could he walk away with three straight national titles and undefeated record and all that? And it, it seemed realistic 
at the time, and it, and it was somewhat realistic at the time. They they got to they got back to the championship the next year, and all, they didn't get to play TCU. <laughs> Nothing right. against TCU, but TCU yeah. wasn't. TCU did not have arguably the top offense in college football history that LSU had that year. You know, they got back in 20 and, and lost to an Ohio State team that was just was firing on all cylinders and was supremely motivated and had a, had a, a just a fantastic offensive game plan against Venables, Brent Venables tactics. And so, again, not that that talk was unrealistic, but I think we saw over the next two years, even with Trevor Lawrence still here and with Travis Etienne still here that, Hey, it's just not that easy, you know, um, to run roughshod over everybody who was not as talented as you in the ACC. Things got a little harder, you know. You had more yeah. close games those, those next two years. Um, you had COVID, of course, um, that that threw things out of whack in a way that nobody really envisioned. And then, oh, by the way, you have the teams sort of, you know, really – sort of well-fortified programs, traditional powers that we're trying to get back, you know. And so you had LSU jump up, you know, in, in, in 19. You had Ohio State get back and beat them. And then, of course, you have Georgia um, that was assembling a powerhouse under Kirby Smart in a way that was not easy to predict circa 2019, 2020. Um, and so, yeah, I think that's a long winded way of saying the last two years have brought us, um, lessons and revelations in a lot of different areas, not just quarterback talent, but talent elsewhere. Um, you know, um, just all those stars having to align and come together for a team to just be an absolute powerhouse that, that stands, uh, that doesn't really take a backseat to anybody. Yeah, the fact that you mentioned the that forty-five and zero discussion, I I distinctly remember the morning after the national championship. I was in San Francisco listening to I think it was Colin Cowherd, and the just shock in his voice on the radio from what he had just witnessed the night before was was baffling to me because it was still kind of I was at the game, it was unreal, and you start to like plan out and where they're at and go, okay, they could, and they were close, like you said, they were twenty-nine and zero. They ran into one of the best teams we'll ever see, I think, college football history, and then ran into Ohio State team that I will always believe they were prepping for Clemson from August, <laughs> just in terms of the way they had envisioned that season going. So yeah, and even even nineteen um, when Clemson outlasted them in the yeah in the semifinal, Ohio State. I mean, you could argue they were the better team. Like yeah, that was an amazing team. Um, you know that that just had a couple of bounces go the other way, you know, which happens, you know? Um, yeah. Just a couple a missed route by Olave or just a miscommunication just ends up being in the hands of Nolan Turner sends them the national championship yeah, or, or a replay overturn, you know, on the, on yeah. the, uh, the just fumble, not fumble. Um, from Justin Ross that, that one of their DBs took back the other way. It was overturned. So, yeah. So just want to get a, at least one or two more questions in and we had, previously jumped on this with the Garrett Riley conversation, just how fast the news came to you. So in your time in this industry, has that something that, especially with social media, just how everything kind of comes through the computer, what has been the biggest change in the industry in your line of work since you've been doing this and covering Clemson football? 
or just Clemson sports in general. Yeah, just the immediacy of that. Like, mm-hmm. um, gosh, like if you go back to 2005 or something, it's like, oh, I've got a big story. Um, Twitter's not there. I'm trying to think. Like, I don't even, I guess we would have gotten it up on our website at the Post and Courier. Um, mm-hmm. But I would have been spending my day writing my story for the next day's newspaper, you know. Um, and then you spend the next day, if I do have, and I, if I am fortunate enough to have that story, to break that story, then I spend the next day watching everybody else um, follow up on it, you know, and they're following up for the next day's papers. So the whole process, uh, the way it moves is just totally different. Like this, um, and, and, you know, so when I go to Tiger Illustrated in 2008, yeah very similar to what it is now and that hey we have a website you know we're you know that that has thousands of subscribers so of course you know get it up now and so i'm not in in this instance with the garrett riley thing i'm literally in the parking lot of a rec center waiting on my girls to to finish um their running workouts on the treadmills and inside when all this is happening and so i'm just you know, I'm texting my boss when I have it confirmed, you know, Streeter fired, confirmed, get it up now, you know? And so he's, he is composing whatever, uh, the paragraphs and, 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 and coding and all that to put it in story form. And then I'm also tweeting it and I'm still on the phone with one of my main contacts as I'm texting <laughs> boss tweeting it out and then this is crazy uh my heart almost stopped um so i'm also texting other contacts as i'm on the phone with one of my main contacts and so i i was letting one of my other contacts know hey he's been fired and then contact replies uh, re- responds and says Actually, I don't think it's fired. I think he's just been reassigned and he's going to stay on staff. And I'm oh, like, no. I almost lost it because, man, just to get something wrong like that. But yeah. it's easy. But it's easy to, um, it, it, as you think back to sort of the play-by-play of something like that, it, it could ha- it can happen. Mm-hmm. Like because it depends on the phrasing of my question as I'm trying to get it confirmed. Like if I say okay, so is he done? Yes, he's done. Okay. Well, I didn't specifically say, has he, has Brandon Streeter been fired as, yeah. a, you know, his coordinator? And I'm, I'm thinking, holy crap, I didn't, I didn't ask that specific thing. And so I'm, I'm on the phone as I get that text saying, actually, I don't think he's been fired. And as I'm on the phone talking to one of the main contacts who does know, I'm like, is he still going to be on the staff? It's like, what? Has oh, he man. not been fired? Oh, yeah, he's been terminated. I'm like, oh, no, I, of course, not that I'm happy that Brandon Streeter got <laughs> fired. I was happy that I didn't get the dang thing wrong because the the fear of or, or the, the humiliation of getting something wrong far exceeds, or my paranoia far yeah. exceeds the joy or satisfaction that comes out of, of, of being first with something, you know? Yeah. I've just been doing this for too long and I've, I've gotten stuff wrong before, you know, long time ago, luckily, but the feeling of that 
is just, um, man, you just, you just don't ever want to have it. No. And yeah. And the final question before we wrap up is more of like, just kind of wanted to pick your brain a little more and thank you once again for doing this. Sure. Has there been a place or a game? It can be like a moment where you were just kind of, it's stuck in your brain. Like there's a, for me, it's, it's gotta be Watson to Renfro. I was a freshman in high school. We were going to Tampa for the first time. It still had that surreal feeling. It doesn't have the kind of feeling it did in 2020 when you made the playoffs. It was more of like a, holy cow, we're in the playoffs. This is like phenomenal. Can't believe this This is growing up. Clemson winning 10 games was a miracle type of thing. So Watson Renfro, big deal. And will always be in my mind as that top moment for just any time, any kind of sports for you. What is that moment? And it can be anything. It doesn't have to necessarily be Clemson. Yeah, it would, it would, I mean, that would have to be at or near the top. I mean, as you can see behind me, I have photos of uh, yeah. most of the playoff um, press box settings and they're right over here. Let's see, where's Tampa? <laughs> Sorry. <Tampa's laughs> over here. Tampa is right here. There we go. For our YouTube audience, you can kind of see the reflection of uh, Larry's portraits and me in that portrait as well. What's that? But, uh, you can kind oh. of see the, uh, no, you're good. I just, I just liked having – I took photos of the views from the yeah. press box at each one just because I thought it was cool. But, um, but uh, no, that – I mean, that that is just so – it really doesn't sink in until hours later. Like, I'm on the bus from the stadium um, back to the media hotel at, like, you know, 3 or 4 in the morning. And I'm getting texts from friends saying, man, Clemson fans who are like, I just cried reading your game story, oh. your game column. And it's like, wow, man, you know, like, I, you know, I can't be a fan, of course, you know, for, you know, I just don't think that's the, that that is possible um, when you're also trying to, you know, tell a story and, and to cover yeah. a, a team in a, you know, uh, to tell the truth, you know, good or bad. But to say that that I don't like look back and treasure those moments and I don't in the moment that I'm not sitting there going, man, I am so lucky to be able to to do this. Um, you know, because when I started covering Clemson, you know, they were they were just I mean, just getting to 10 wins seemed like a pipe dream. You know, they yeah. were just trying to get out of decades worth of um, me mediocrity. And so then so a moment like that. I'm thinking, um, wow, man, how fortunate am I that, you know, I come along at the same time that this guy named Dabo Sweeney comes along, one of the greatest stories in college football history, you know, his mm -hmm. story, the way he got the job, you know, the way he overcame all the odds when nobody thought he could, you know, he, that he had a prayer uh, of, of, of getting the job and then not only bringing Clemson back to, winning conference championships and getting being really good, but putting them on top of the college football world. Like, you know, I know we're running out of time, but yeah, it's all good. I think back to like the Florida state dynasty under Bobby Bowden, you know, I always thought years ago when I was first starting out on the business, like, wow, man, how cool must it be to cover something like that, you know, to be around that. And so when you're in the immediate aftermath of big moments like that in Tampa, or other assorted big moments that, that Clemson has had uh, uh, under Debo Sweeney. You know, that's what I think about is like, man, I'm, I am able to witness and, you know, have a front row seat to this story. And so it's just gratitude 
uh, for that. Yeah, absolutely. So, guys, thank you so much for tuning into this interview with Larry Williams. You can check out his stuff at Clemson Rivals. I will link it all in the description. Consider subscribing. There's not a better time, especially with Clemson basketball on the rise and Clemson football. We're slowly and slowly getting to the spring, so it couldn't be a better time to subscribe. And, hey, maybe you'll see something from me at the future. Yes, sir. Yes, we'll sir. See. Thank you guys, as always, for listening to episode 112, 112, guys, crazy, of the Man With A Plan podcast. Hit all the buttons, subscribe, and have a great day. Take care.